Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Today, I have a guest with me who I am really excited to chat to. I found her from scrolling around on Instagram via the Unfollowing Mum page. And obviously, her content spoke to the kind of things that I am looking for. So I have for you today, Marie Selleck. Hi, Marie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. We were joking beforehand about the time differences because Marie is in the US and I'm over here in the UK. And it, it's such a nightmare sometimes trying to work out these different times. But it's really lovely to meet you and have you on the podcast. Could you tell listeners who are not familiar with what you do a little bit about what you do and who you are? Absolutely. So I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Michigan in the US. Um, but I'm actually turned empowerment coach. And so I'm an international empowerment coach. I focus on emotional neglect, specifically for women from their mothers. So I help women overcome the impacts of their emotionally unavailable mom. Oh, I think that's going to relate so much to so many people. It certainly does with me. I had a very difficult relationship with my mum. I was not aware of how my relationship with my mum was. I think that's so common. It certainly has been from my experience working with clients and personal experience to how few people realize how difficult their relationship is until they become a parent themselves or until some other force comes into their their being that makes them go, this is normal. At which point it's it's quite the shock. So talk to me a little bit more about those emotional wounds and how you work with clients to overcome them. Yeah, so I, I love how you mentioned there's really this external force that, that comes into play to really make you recognize this um, because emotional neglect is really underrepresented. Uh, underrepresented. Um, so we, we know like abuse, blatant abuse of sorts, but really emotional neglect is being unavailable and being distant or rejecting. 
Um, so what I typically do that the number one thought or, or narrative in your head that comes out of this is when you're not treated as a priority as a child, you come to believe that you're not good enough, mm. not good enough for love, not good enough at school, not good enough friends, not good enough everything. So then what happens the rest of your life becomes battling this inner critic of not good enough. Even if those are not the exact words, right? I'm not good enough at grocery shopping. I'm not a good enough mom, which already is a societal challenge. So then add a whole nother layer of the mother wound on top of that. And it's just constant self-esteem work. So what I do is I really help people pull out the thought and conditioning that comes from um, this not good enough belief. So a mother who's emotionally unavailable looks can look a range of things, right? It can go from abusive, but it can go to very mild, just unavailability. So um, dismissing feelings, pushing things under the rug oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, it's really not a big deal, right? Um, if you have any, or like kids will will generally not even talk to their parent because they know if they, if they talk to them, they're just going to be pushed away, which causes women then, or ch- children in general to push their feelings down, right? Mm-hmm. All feelings are bad unless it's happy. Yeah. So this, this, significant disconnect between emotions and reality and all of that. So I help really work on that emotional connectivity, like recognizing complex emotions, but also overcoming the narrative in your head that has been conditioned. Yeah. And it is that real deep conditioning, isn't it? And you don't even, and I think this is something that is missed when we talk about emotional abuse. And I remember I had, um, Josh Connolly on the podcast quite a few episodes ago now but one of the things that he'd said was that emotional abuse the power of it is how deeply it affects you and how hidden it is and the power that it holds over you because you don't realize that these little behaviors that you have picked up on that you have internalized They're all things that you have been conditioned to believe about yourself. And it's interesting that you say every emotion is bad apart from joy and happiness. And it reminded me, you know, the Disney film Inside Out. That Mm -hmm. always really, yeah, that always really strikes me because it is part of our, not just conditioning from our toxic parents, but also kind of our societal conditioning that every emotion should be repressed and that joy should always be in the driving seat as opposed to allowing ourselves to feel a spectrum of emotions, which is something I really struggle with. I said to my husband a few days ago, I'm really flat at the minute and I can't work out why. I think it's coming back from holiday. It's the change of the season. It's feeling pressure to have more work going on. It's so many little things that are really adding up for me and making me feel, quite frankly, a bit depressed. And yet it feels like a bit of a failure to say that. I'm like, well, what's wrong with you? You've got all these things going on. You've also been conditioned to question and re-question yourself. Yes. So because psychological abuse um, and neglect is like, like you said, so utterly ingrained, Mm. you're taught to question your own emotions. Well, I'm not getting this validated. It, it must be a problem with me. Yeah. 
But then the problem is you also, because you're then conditioned to question yourself, you question accurate feelings. Mm. Oh, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling frustrated. Oh, it's my problem. I need to, I, you know, I need to do something to solve it. And it's like, no, feel through it. Yeah. Right. But it's always correcting and questioning and re-questioning yourself. And if somebody else challenges any feeling, it's, oh, they must be right. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's exhausting, that constant questioning of yourself, that constant, am I exaggerating this? Especially if you have grown up in an environment where you're constantly told you're being too sensitive, you are over-exaggerating, or you're just creating problems. And given that message of you are the problem, because I think that's something that we so often when we grow up with toxic parents and quite often I think you know we say oh it's it's unintentional it's done without it's quite often it is done with intention in my case it was definitely with intention to create me as the problem as opposed to being accountable or Um, being self-reflective and self-aware and it's really difficult to shift that message of you are the problem. So what are some of the things that you do when you are addressing the mother wound and looking at that negative self-critic to kind of nip it a bit and change it? (laughs) Oh, this is my favorite. So is that thought realistic or helpful is what I tell people. And I mean, I want you to look at absolute facts. If you're saying... And this is this is sometimes the the really low level underneath all the junk one is not only I'm not good enough, but it's really I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, give me give me facts that prove that you're unlovable. Well, nobody can find any. Mm-hmm. Okay, so historically maybe you have felt that way, but no, I want concrete facts. What makes you less lovable than the next person? Is that a fact that because when you say you're unlovable, you're saying you're always going to be unlovable. There's nobody in this world that can love me. And so I say, okay, do you know that as a fact? Mm. Can you prove that, that really in the rest of your life, you're never going to have anybody love you? And so any of those thoughts, I'm a burden. Okay. Has anybody ever, the in the situation that you're talking about, have they told you that you're a burden? right is what you're asking them to do are they showing that that's too much for them to handle right are they sacrificing anything to help you do that and a lot of times it's an absolute not right Mm -hmm. it's a neutral response okay there's no evidence that you're a burden so um cognitive theory which is what i specialize in as a as a as a therapist is your there are manufactured thoughts which lead to manufactured emotions and then there are natural emotions manufactured emotions are and manufactured thoughts are based on things that you tell yourself so but these can be very inaccurate right i'm not yeah. good enough i'm a burden i'm unlovable And so it's really pulling apart. Well, if you pull apart the thought and make it more accurate, the feeling changes. So less guilt, less shame, less questioning and re-questioning yourself. 
Right. I guess it's quite an analytical approach to it, isn't it? Of analyzing those thoughts, those feelings. Because my first reaction when you said, are you unlovable? Well, my first reaction was to remember my therapist saying to me, do you think you're unlovable? And me being like, yeah, I guess so. Like, I don't know. You know, you felt like you did a bit of a pop quiz. And I was like, mm, yeah, I mean, again. Deep down, right? Because you're sitting there in your, in your like societal brain and you're going, oh, no, but the yeah. deep down going oh yeah I'm uh, I feel it and that's what I do with my clients right like do you feel in your body that that is an accurate statement yeah yeah okay but- then that's what you're really telling yourself yeah that's it and it's separating because I really pushed back up against it I was like well yeah no I think I am loved I think I'm lovable and then the more that we broke it down and the more that we looked at it the more it came apparent that actually no I did have this internal message of I'm unlovable And it was a really difficult one to reconcile with. And then my second thought, when you were saying about, are you a burden and you can look at this? My second thought was, I could probably come up with a way in which I could find a fact for that and be like, yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But except for your facts are based on historical experiences, but even those experiences don't really make it a fact exactly and that's that's what is quite difficult I think to wrap your head around because you could come back and say well no because I had this relationship and my this happened with my parents and then this happened with a partner and then this happened with but none of those actually are you these are the experiences and that's what's really difficult to separate apart when you have that continual message that you've been told since you were tiny tiny that you are the problem and it goes back to rerouting that oh yeah well and you also think of with that and this is why I help pull out those experiences right is do experiences determine your worth do your experiences or what other people say does that mean they're fact right if somebody says you're a burden are you automatically believing them? Because like, are they a accurate source of information? Right? Yeah. Just because somebody says something, does that make, mean it's true? Right? Oh, the sky is purple. Uh, doesn't mean it's true. So it's really pulling apart. And again, it comes, I mean, when you have emotional abuse, you know, gaslighting, you know, um, passive aggressive behaviors, it always makes you question and re-question. And it's like, no, question them. Don't question yourself. Yeah, start to actually look at the facts and reroute that questioning, that brain that goes, oh, it must be the problem. It's me, it's me, it's me, (laughs) to, "Mm, is it possible it's not me? And is it possible that we can start to look at maybe what they're saying is wrong? Maybe I need to have a bit more faith in myself and believe in myself a bit more. Because I do think you grow up, especially as you say, you grow up with that questioning yourself brain. And it's quite interesting to think of it as rerouting it to questioning others and questioning the messages that you are given as opposed to questioning yourself every time. Not easy, not easy at all. But interesting. And it actually leads into another stuck point of if I question myself, I'm being selfish. Yes. Right. Which is another stuck point. It's like, well, selfish is when you put yourself at a pedestal above others, not equal to. 
<laughs> Let's stick to that you are equally as important as other people. And that I find, especially since I became a mum, is really difficult because I am constantly warring with myself. And this is after years of therapy of sitting there thinking, I should do this or I should and scolding myself with that should and I should do this I should do that I must do this when actually I really need to just sit for a minute and it's okay to rest it's okay to need to need that that actually I could end that sentence there I could end it there with it's okay to need but there is this voice inside me that is going well you're not good enough you need to do better or more yeah constantly and it's so difficult to war with that voice well and it's so much well and one of the reasons why I really really focus on women is because this is a whole another layer on top of already societal struggles that we have right struggles of moving into the workforce over the last you know 50 60 70 years um of still statistically taking on most of the caregiving in the housework yeah and then you add that's just for that's just normal right that's just what every woman struggles with and then on top of that you have this layer of not good enough need to be doing more which manifests and looks like anxiety and depression yeah yeah so you get a lot of I get a lot of people coming to therapy anxiety and depression and then we pull it apart and I'm like here's the other layers (laughs) right yeah here's the other layers is what you're talking what you're telling yourself you're conditioning all of this stuff yeah and I can I can say from personal experience of both working with clients in a coaching capacity and my own experiences with coaching and therapy there is nothing quite as scary as when that penny drops and you think oh god no there's loads of layers Oh, it's a bit to sift through because you think I'm going in for one thing. And then all of a sudden you start to realize "Mm, there's loads of other things here. And especially I think going back to what you've just said there about all the societal pressures put on women. I think that makes it even more difficult to acknowledge when you've had a toxic mother and you've had a relationship that is toxic um, and incredibly challenging to navigate especially if you have like myself a very narcissistic mother who's very quick to play the victim very quick to um create the drama and to bully and if you're in that position it's really difficult especially when they're a single mum to come forwards and say you know what actually my mum did all of this and this wasn't okay because there's no physical abuse there And like we said at the beginning, society is quite quick, you know, quite on the ball, snappy to say, oh, that wasn't wrong. You know, you beat the child or you did this. But when it's emotional abuse and you're speaking out against a parent, so overlooked, so dismissed. And because we know how much women do struggle within society and how they are treated differently by society, I think it makes it doubly difficult to come out and say, these are the struggles I had with my mother. There's so much when she did her best. Yeah. And especially because you're already questioning and re-questioning yourself. And so the fear is that if you open up about this emotional abuse, somebody's not going to validate you. Mm. They're going to question it too, which is going to feed into your already previously determined beliefs about yourself. So there's so much fear 
but yeah, you've already, you've also spent your life for the purpose of, so the biological reason why you have to be attached to a mom is for survival. Mm -hmm. It just typically is the mom over the dad, like biologically speaking, you were also you were connected to them pre-birth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you've had to maintain this relationship and question and re-question and numb what she's saying to you and really override it in order to maintain that, that, that survival. And so you've been taught to question and re-question what was even going on. And then when you start to recognize it, you're like, okay, but like, I'm going to tell somebody else and they're going to question me. Yeah. And society does. Mm. Well, you should just get over it. Or you should just forgive her. And it's like that. Then the con the societal concept is like forgive forgiving and forgetting. That's what yes. you think of when you think of forgiving. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that is not healthy yeah. or the way you heal from your emotionally unavailable parent. Oh, and do you know I it's it's it sounds ridiculous, but it is music to my ears when you hear professionals say forgiving and forgetting is not how you heal because I hear it all the time of well you haven't really healed if you're still angry about that you haven't really healed if you've not forgiven forgiveness is the key to healing is it bold it's not it's not <laughs> of course it's not well you maybe can... it is the word forgiveness hmm. but it's a di totally different concept yeah and I think you can you can forgive yourself for the position that you were in and you can forgive and move on, but that doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, well, I, I have this big moment of forgiveness or of, of of stepping into their shoes or any of these things. You can both acknowledge that the way in which you were treated was wrong and that you deserved better yes. and that you should protect yourself from that relationship if they're not willing to work on themselves and move forward. We don't have to stick in a place of forgiveness forever. Yeah. It's forgiveness with this stuff is exactly that. It's acknowledging, and a lot of it is, is acknowledging that it's a generational thing. Mm -hmm. She learned those patterns in a really bad way. And they came from other traumas usually, um, but that it still wasn't okay. And you still do not continue to expose yourself to it. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You don't have to continue to expose yourself to these things. And that doesn't mean that you've not forgiven or that nope. you've not acknowledged their struggles. And I always say we have to stop confusing being uh, confusing empathy with enabling. You can have empathy for yes. those struggles that your parent had. You can acknowledge that, hey, look, they had a really difficult childhood themselves. They learned these behaviors or they've had this happen or perhaps they're this way. You can acknowledge all of that and say, I feel that that was really sad at that time, but I don't have to enable them to do it to me. I think another thing to really keep in mind is um, people who are healing, of course, are very, very empathetic right? Is they want to save everybody from ever feeling any of those feelings. Yes. Sometimes they can even be overly empathetic towards their parents. But the problem is, is that empathy is putting yourself in their shoes with what you know about life. But that other person actually may 
not have those same emotions. Mm. Like I've had um, with my parent is I used to call them regularly because they were home alone. And I, I empathized. I said, well, if I were in that situation, I would be really lonely. Yeah. They're not lonely. So I can't actually use empathy in that situation. I have to look factually. They don't reach out to people. They seem perfectly happy. There's no evidence that they're lonely. And so I also have to choose what I don't empathize with them on and recognize how I say it is, is um, a fish in water. You can't tell them that there's water. Hmm. They don't recognize it. And so sometimes if they've never had any sort of connection, they don't value that. Yeah. And so I have to really focus on what I'm not going to empathize with as well, because they don't, they don't understand human connection like I do. I love that. And I think from my perspective, I had a very enmeshed relationship with my mum. So there was that constant need for why are you not contacting me? Why are you not doing these things? So when I speak to people and they have quite the opposite where they've almost just been dismissed by the parent completely, it's like, well, you know, you've cut contact with me. I don't care. Whatever. I'm not bothered. They're not hardly even aware that they've had contact cut. It's a different kind of dismissal and a different kind of neglect. And when you put yourself into that, that position of saying well I want to reach out to them because I feel that's the right thing to do that's what I'd want someone to do with me you're quite right that might not be the way they feel and it's okay for you to step back from that that's not your responsibility to fix that's exactly how I've had to deal with my parent Mm. and especially kind of like we talked about in the beginning um these these aha moments um you especially have them when you have kids oh yeah So all of it comes to a head when you have kids, right? Is most of the women I work with have kids because they've kind of hit that moment of you love these children unconditionally. And then you kind of go back in this narrative through your head and your history and go, I can't believe somebody would say that to me. I can't, I would never, ever even dream of doing that to my kids. And also my parent never calls and never called to ask to meet my child. And I actually had to, after three months, I had to make the choice that I'm going to ask to get together for coffee just for me. Mm-hmm. And then I can say it's done. Yeah. Right. Just so that they can, they can meet her and then it will be done. And I don't have to, but, but you know, there's no desire to have this relationship and it's just so strange because you're like, this child is amazing, yeah. right? So just the, these huge changes in putting yourself in a parenting role with your kid and looking back at the parenting role from your parent and going, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow's exactly it. And like you say, it's those eureka moments of looking at it and being like, I just wouldn't do that. I can't imagine saying that. I can't imagine putting my kids. And it's funny because as my kids are getting older, I have a nearly 13 year old, nearly very nearly 11 year old and an eight year old. And I look at them, especially the older boys. And I'm like, oh, we were talking about it the other day. We were going to put something on the TV. And I said to my husband, oh, I really used to like that when I was his age. He is 10, like a week away from 11. And these these were programs that were so inappropriate 
And not just, oh, you know, the age rating was was oh, high yeah. and they were okay, but the age, no, these were like full out horror movies yeah. and gore fests and things. And I was like, oh, that was one of my favorites. And my husband just looked at me and was like, mm-hmm, yeah, remember we don't. Yeah, remember we're not doing that. <laughs> we don't do those things. We don't remember. We're not going to do that. And like when it comes to my kids being home alone, I've really warred with that because my eldest is very much like, you can leave me for like the full day now. I'm yeah. practically a teenager. And I'm like, mm, no. And <laughs> I will leave him for small periods of time because it's giving him a little bit of responsibility. I know I yeah. can trust him. And you have to start at some point doing that. But I remember being my daughter's age of eight and being left for the majority of the day whilst my mum was at work and completely unreachable for like 12 hours throughout the summer holidays and we could call it necessity but it wasn't there were oh. other things that could have been done and when I have these different stages in my parenthood I start to look at my kids and be like wow that's what happened to me at this stage of parenthood and that's messed up and it's really difficult to firstly realize it and secondly sometimes very difficult not to fall in the pattern of doing it not realize it and that's what scares me more and something that I speak to a lot of people about is the fear of repeating that pattern and falling into the cycle oh yeah so so with parenting especially it's there's this tendency to overcompensate for not being your parent like you're so hyper focused on not being your parent that you don't notice really I talk about a pendulum yeah. Right. This is your parent. You go polar opposite mm-hmm. usually in a lot of the healing stuff. So um, not being able to discipline because you're so afraid they're not going to love you or they're going to feel disconnected. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or having difficulty right over not letting them be any independent at anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it can be really hard to bring, bring it back into the middle and really assess. There's also this fear, yeah, that they're going to be disconnected. Or if you do, if you yell at them, they're going to hate you or they're not going (laughs) to feel loved. Yeah. And really how I tell people is like, again, we're going back to evidence. What is the evidence that shows that your kids are deeply connected to you? Yeah. They asked for hugs. They come and talk to you when they have something to talk about emotionally school, anything. Yeah. They want to be in the same room as you, right? They're excited when they come back and see you different stages of life. Right? But... <laughs> of course. Yeah. I'm thinking but... my, my 12 year old, nearly 13 year old excitement is not an emotion he expresses when he's yes, eating. My 14 year old is not super excited to hang food. out with us. Yeah. Food. He's like, yeah. Hey, you're my guy for food and I love yes <laughs> the other part is is acknowledging I mean think how much work you have had to do to disconnect from your mom mm. and how much work it takes to disconnect from that that survival parent figure like your children would have to work hard to disconnect from you if you're a good enough parent you show them love and kindness and there's there's no way they're going to disconnect from you. They'd have to work hard at it. They're not going to work hard to disconnect from a mother yeah. unless they're toxic. You're not. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? It's 
acknowledging how very difficult it has been to sever those ties, to move away from the things that my parent has instilled in me and to create my own identity, really, because when you are enmeshed, you don't have one. You have the Mm. identity that they tell you to have. And I think that is the same when you are neglected or enmeshed or whatever it might be growing up with a toxic parent it's so difficult to forge your own identity and when you do and you go through that that fire of being able to create your own identity be your own person work out what you love what you don't love all the things that make you you that's so much effort and so painful at times your child is not going to do that no child does that unless the parent is toxic and if you are there and I always say this as well that if you are there and you are actually doing your best which sometimes might fall short and might be problematic but you're willing to be accountable and acknowledge that and validate how they feel about that there's so much power in that and it's really difficult like how different would everybody's life be if we had parents that would apologize when they got it wrong Oh yeah. And so, you know, I have women come to me sometimes is, uh, well, my kids are grown. I can't change anything. And I think I, what I tell them is imagine if your mom right now sincerely worked on changing, like not, not the fake stuff, right? Sincerely worked on changing. Would you let her back in your life? everybody's going to say yes. It would take some work, but sincerely, if they sincerely started to change and were working on their self and apologized and acknowledged and was facing their guilt and shame, they would, they would heal. They would, they would applaud you and they would heal with you. So regardless of if your children are adults, it's you do the work that still impacts your adult children, regardless Mm -hmm. of the age. And I think that's something that you find so often with toxic parents that they're just not willing to. Yes. And that's where it comes into play. Yeah. They don't have the self-awareness and they choose not to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the really frustrating thing is that doesn't impact your worth and it Mm -hmm. doesn't say anything about you as a person, but to know that that one person could choose you and still continues not to, that's really difficult to make your peace with. Totally. And then if you're the parent that has still struggled with doing your own healing while raising your kids, like recognize you can still do good enough and acknowledge your imperfection, that you still have that insight. You still have that growth mentality. You still have this, I'm trying to do what's best for my kids. If you have any effort into it, it still makes a big change, a big difference to your kids. They see the effort versus the complete denial yeah oh absolutely absolutely they do and they feel it as well they feel it they feel that you we're all gonna and I, I say this all the time when I talk about cycle breaking parenting we're all going to break certain cycles and create others and that's a fact of life because times change things change and when we do get it wrong being accountable for it and saying, oh, you know, actually, I'm really sorry that that caused you harm. How can we move forward through this? Let me work on that with you, not against you. Absolutely. That makes so much difference. And it's all our first go at this life. 
that's the thing. And being gentle with ourselves is really important. And that goes back again to the aspect of forgiveness. Yes, it was your parents first go. But what the difference is there is they were not willing to do the work. They were not willing to change. And it's okay to acknowledge that and remove yourself from that. Yeah. And then it had nothing to do with you. Yeah. It was absolutely them. Mm. And I think that's a really hard one to accept. It is. It is, is that it had nothing to do with you, has everything to do with them. I tell people, you know, there's still lots of people that are very much holding out this hope of their parent to change. Mm-hmm. And how I kind of tell them about it is in order to change and heal, they would have to acknowledge an immense amount of guilt and shame for doing the things that they've done in their life. Do you actually believe that they have the strength to do that? And most people say, no. Mm. Okay. Now, do you have the strength to face little tiny pieces, right? Of, oh yeah, I could have done better, right? But not let it turn into guilt or shame, right? Correct. Keep going, saying you're doing good enough. But not a lifetime of built up guilt and shame of the things that you've done wrong, right? Which they're covering up. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to look at it. And I love that because it's if you were to really look back on your life when your adult child has come to the point where they feel that the only way for them to protect themselves is to completely cut you out and really acknowledge and accept the reasons as to why that would be overwhelming and huge and would take so much strength. And they've already shown in their actions that they don't have that strength. Correct. Which is really hard. But really, mm-hmm. I, I find that quite comforting to look at it and be like, that really solidifies how that is nothing about you. It's yes. their inability to be able to handle acknowledging their behavior, to be able to handle all the things that they've done and accept them and say, yeah, I was wrong there because you can't change it. And this is the thing. It's so often passed off as, well, you know, it's what's done is done. We should move forwards. And yet you can move forwards, but only with acknowledgement of what has been done. And And change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. Acknowledgement and change, not just like, well, it's done. It's, it's yesterday. Well, and that's why I say like, um, emotionally unavailable parents are very one dimensional. Mm. It's very much like, I want this, I'm going to get it right? No thought about anybody else or, or I feel this way, like I'm angry. I'm going to express anger. Mm, Yeah. Whereas with empathy, multidimensional, right? I'm angry. Who might this impact? Okay. I'm going to change my behavior so that it doesn't impact other people. Or like, I want this. How is that going to impact other people? Okay. I'm going to adjust. It's just, I want this. I'm going to do this. I'm angry. I'm going to yell at you, you know? I I'm frustrated. I'm going to call you names or whatever it is. Yeah, that is really one dimension. I never really thought about it in those terms of how one dimensional that actually is mm-hmm. and how there is, it's, it's always, always like a two-step program of I want, I get, I, I need, I yes. do. I, and I think that's a part of why we having grown up with emotionally unavailable toxic parents is that we internalize so much because we're so busy thinking who's this going to impact 
How's this going to look? What's going to happen? What are the outcomes of this? Should I do this? Oh, well, or I'm not ready of that. Where you're trying to solve your mom's feelings. She's yes. angry. What do I do to solve that? Right? Yeah. Because her feelings are my feelings. Yeah. Right? A constant life of fawning. Constant. <laughs> yeah. A constant life of fawning. And that that's really difficult. And I find it quite interesting as well how these very different experiences are, they they affect you, yes, in different ways, but sometimes also in very similar ways yes. that are quite circular in that you have these messages and you always take it on you. And logically, we know that children take it on themselves. They internalize it because it's too scary for us as children to look outwards and go, our primary caregiver can't give us what we need. They can't meet our needs. Because if you do that, you disconnect and they're your survival. Exactly. And that's a mammal thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's not, we are not wired that way. And no matter how strong of a child you are, how independent you are, how amazing you are, for you to actually disconnect from that primary caregiver would be nigh on impossible. Yes. And that's where these messages of it must be me come from. No matter what spectrum you're on there with that toxicity in your parent-child relationship, whether it's enmeshed, unavailable, neglectful, absent, whatever it is, it's always coming back to you because otherwise, well, what does that leave you with? Correct. Totally. It's all self. It's all internalized. It all becomes all your fault. Yeah, all your fault. And then you learn to blame yourself for everything else. Yeah. And having that critical eye on that blame and looking at it and saying, is this accurate? Is this fair? Is this factual? Is a really useful tool to be able to break out of those patterns of blame. Yep. Yep. One of the ways I help people move through this, this fault, because fault leads to the feeling of guilt and shame. But what you really got to focus on is when you say fault, it's really, was there intent? Fault goes with intent. You intended an outcome that's good or bad. So then when you say it's my fault, it's like, ask yourself, well, did you intend the outcome? Most of the time, no. And so you go, okay, was there a responsibility in it? You know, did you contribute to the outcome? Like, was there a preventable thing? Okay, sometimes. Most of the time it's uncontrollable, mm-hmm. right? Was there any way to predict that this would happen? No. Then there's no fault. You're not at fault. That's really, really interesting. Just analyzing it and stepping back from it sometimes mm-hmm. which is really hard to do yeah very it's it's, so it's taking the emotions out because the emotions are what what makes things muddy mm. and and again what we're doing is we're pulling apart the manufactured emotions they're they're essentially fake emotions so they're based on something you're telling yourself now natural emotions are like grief sadness anger can be natural if there's an injustice So you also like mentioned a little while ago of like, you know, forgiveness and anger. Well, there is a healthy portion of anger there because there was injustice done to you. You lost your childhood. So, so some anger is natural. Now, if you're saying something else to yourself, that's really toxic, it can become unnatural. Yeah. 
but we really once you pull out the the manufactured beliefs and emotions you're left with natural ones and those are not as intense or hard to feel through because a lot of this is just a lot of avoidance of feeling yeah but you want to feel through the natural ones and you want to challenge the manufactured ones yeah and it's 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 tough to separate between what is manufactured yes. and what is natural that is a re- that is a real skill to be able to do that and to be able to look at it and there are going to be times when you are sifting through this what is a real emotion what is a natural emotion what is manufactured because i'm avoiding feeling something else so you hear quite often that when you are feeling angry it's because you're trying to avoid feeling sad you're trying to avoid feeling fear all of these actual emotions that are there, you're trying to avoid them. So it manifests itself as anger. But to be able to realize that, that's the skill. That's, yes. and that's then the difficult one. Also realize when the anger is the natural one. Yes. Is yeah. there was injustice. And that is a natural anger, not covering up other ones. But you can also feel other ones at the same time, right? Anger, feel, fear, sadness, all of those things, right? with the injustice yeah and how do you how do you feel through these emotions without allowing them to completely encompass you because I look sometimes and I've had clients say this I've said this myself you feel like if you just let them all in they'll swamp you and if you start screaming you'll never stop and if you feel that rage You'll never stop. So how do you accept, okay, I will stop. I will be able to move through them. There is light at the end of the tunnel because that could be really scary to think. I need to just feel this when you've always been taught to suppress it. Yeah, it's hard because it feels like um, a soda bottle that's been shaken up. Yeah. You take the top off, you're going to explode and you're never going to put it back in. So the ones that are so overwhelming are usually the manufactured ones. There's some sort of manufactured thought in there that is overwhelming. Like you're still telling yourself something that that is making your nervous system go nuts. So the other part of it when it's natural is just giving yourself permission and understanding of I'm allowed to be frustrated right now. I'm allowed to feel really sad right now because a lot of it is again, avoiding, right? Nope. I'm it's something it's me. Yeah. This is the manufactured one. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm feeling all of these emotions so much. Well, that's feeding those emotions to be manufactured, which means they're overwhelming, right? If you validate or even say to yourself, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, I don't really know what I'm feeling right now. I'm not feeling average right now so there's some feelings going on I don't exactly know what they are so just acknowledging that you know what what has happened in the last couple days that might be contributing to me just feeling off today Mm. you don't even have to label it but just acknowledge I'm feeling today I don't know what I'm feeling and that's okay but I'm going to give myself some grace because it might impact patience it (laughs) might impact right other parts of my life but I'm going to give myself a little more space today to figure out and just feel or maybe I need to go for a walk or maybe you know what is it that will help you um just 
not even identify the emotions, but just let them, let them feel, let yourself feel them. Yeah. And that's that Mm self-awareness, which is a huge part of healing and moving forward is becoming more aware of your sense of self, which again, is really difficult to do when you've never been allowed to develop a sense of self. So it all feels like it can be a bit too much, but it's little by little by little picking apart all of these messages that you've been given and allowing yourself to blossom. Yes. Let let yourself be your most authentic self, which is most of it is learning to listen to your body. You've overridden your gut feeling from a really young age. So your gut feeling of this is unsafe or this doesn't feel good because you needed to. And so you're also learning to just feel, okay, what is your gut telling you? You know, what are, what are the feelings? What is it telling me? So if I have a feeling, what is it communicating to me? If I'm sad, I need to rest, right? Or maybe I need to be around other people. If I'm lonely, I need to be around people or connect, have some sort of connection to people Um, if I'm, if my gut is telling me I'm unsafe, it means you need to distance yourself from the people that you're not feeling safe with. It's really a lot of listening to your body and going, okay, what is it telling me that needs Mm -hmm. to be done? Yeah. And I love that. And I think that's, that's a powerful message to listen to your body because you've grown up not listening you've grown up shutting it down so to now as an adult realize that you're safe with yourself to listen to yourself and get comfortable with yourself yeah exactly and that's so hard to do yeah that you could have a whole podcast episode just on trusting yourself you can trust your perception yeah you can trust you yeah you can trust you you can trust you I think that is a really good place to end the episode. Marie, thank you so much. That was really thank you insightful. For me. Can you let my listeners know where they can find you, please? Yes, absolutely. So my Instagram is mother wound coach. So mother underscore wound underscore coach. Um, I also have um, a website, which is meselliccoaching.com. You can check me out there. Amazing. That's great. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and for coming and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, I will speak to you again next week. See you later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.